Hey everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, we just wanted to make sure to remind you guys how much we love interacting with listeners. We want to hear what you have to say, whether it's through an iTunes review, a Twitter thread, or some comments on our Facebook, make sure to let us know what you think. All of our social media can be found at But Why Though PC on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And on top of that, send us an email, info at butwhythopodcast.com. We try to reply as much as we can, and we definitely want to know what you have to say about your favorite fandom. And on the last note, we have a Patreon. So if you feel like doing a little bit more for us, feel free to donate there. You'll get access to episodes early, all of our research notes, and we're even working on some special merchandise for our Patreon subscribers. But remember, donating isn't necessary. At the very least, it helps us so much for you to just get the word out. So share us with a friend, share us with your Twitter, share us with your Facebook. Get the word out and help contribute to some great conversations about some really great fandoms. And enjoy the show. Today we're talking about a film that completely made 90s horror and rejuvenated a subgenre. It is Scream. As always, I'm your host Kate and I'm here with Matt. Hello. Adrian is taking a little sabbatical right now and we also have a super highly qualified guest, Alex Paterno, host of What We Talk About When We Talk About podcast and assignment editor at FrightDay.com. It me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in on this. Yeah, for sure. I'm, thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I am like the sole horror buff on this podcast, so. You guys are missing out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> she says this, but yet we still ignore the movie Jaws. <laughs> yes. So, listeners, if you didn't listen to our Why Horror Matters episode, we did forget about Jaws. And I apologize. I kind of forget that it's a horror movie sometimes, if I'm being honest. I know that it is. I just forget. Do we need to go in the numbers of how much money that franchise has made? Because then it's going to turn into Before a Jaws Star episode. Before Star Wars existed, that was the number one thing. And still, if we take away Star Wars, it's still probably the number <laughs> one thing. I will say this. The entire time making these notes, Matt just kept saying, so are you going to mention Jaws? In the Scream episode? Yes. It really bugs him that I that I left out Jaws. I mean, he is a, he is a Jaws fan. I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> you can see the determination on his face as he as he he start wants to list the numbers. <laughs> but anyways, this is not a Jaws episode. Unfortunately. No, it's not. So let's get to scream. Yeah. So, as always, we start out with a question, and I'm going to start it out with one of the most notable questions asked in a movie, Alex. What's your favorite scary movie? Okay, so here's the thing. Scream? Like, if I'm being honest, like, the topic of this episode is my favorite scary movie. Uh, I also, though, am a big, big fan of the or, the Blair Witch Project, the original. Ah. Um, a lot of 90s horror. Most, more recently, It Follows is... Uh, it Follows is actually probably closest after Scream uh, for favorite horror movies. I just really liked the visuals and cinematics of it and the story. Um, but yeah, Scream, plain and simple, just like, it's really entertaining. It gets richer every time you watch it, the more you watch old horror that came before it. 
And yeah, it's just really fun. So you said the Blair Witch Project. Did, were you one of those people that believed this was a real thing at the time? Um, I wasn't quite sure, but I think I was also 10. So <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, I do remember like having that question of like, well, but what if it is? And I thought that was really fun. And honestly, if you guys ever do a But Why Though on the Blair Witch Project, I want to be a part of that. That one just culturally was such a huge moment. We did an episode about it on what we talk about when we talk about. I loved that episode about it. Thank you. Yeah, I had, I had a lot of fun with that one. Um, so, Matt, what's your favorite scary movie? Favorite scary movie. That isn't Jaws. That isn't, that isn't Jaws. Jaws. I don't know if I actually have a favorite scary movie because I'm not a big fan of the, like, I guess, horror genre or even scary movies. I do like the movie Birds. I am really fascinated. By Tippi Hedren? By what? I'm sorry. The original Scream Queen? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Really fascinated by the birds and how it can actually happen. But as far as, I guess, horror movies, I mean, I kind of... I didn't really grow up on Scream movies, but more of, like, the older, uh, like, Halloween and Chucky and those type of movies. Chucky terrified me as a kid. Yes, Chucky, probably my least favorite scary movie. I my brother my brother had a My Little Buddy doll. Oh my god! And here's the thing: I didn't mind it until I found out what Chucky was, and then I was like, "Get that evil out of our house!" <laughs> <laughs> I can remember the movies that scared me, but I don't know if I actually like. Oh, I Did really want like to that. I want to sit down and watch this. Yeah, it's, well, it, that reminds me of uh, not to plug what we talked about again, but. In, the, in our latest episode where we talk about Christopher Nolan, apparently see, one of his comments about Dunkirk was, I don't really tell people to enjoy the film because I don't know how enjoyable of an experience it is, but like, appreciate the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head that I, like, at least I can relate to and know, like even Nightmare on Elm Street that I've watched and seen all those. Mm-hmm. But I just, I can't really think of any, like, I guess, horror movie or scary movie Besides the actual movie called Scary Movie <laughs> that will be mentioned during this podcast. It's, here's the thing. I rewatched it like a year ago. It's not terrible. Yeah, no, it's not. I love the first two scary movies. <laughs> I'm probably probably up in my top echelon of comedies versus... Yeah, that, like I remember actually. watching the first one as a kid and being like, this is funny. And then watching it as an adult after being so thoroughly versed in horror and in Scream specifically, being like, this is actually stellar as a parody. I, I can get behind that. A hundred percent. Still trying to think if I have a favorite, but do you want me to go and then? Yes, you can, you can go and I'll see if I can actually pull one of these out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so my favorite scary movie. So unlike Matt, I fondly remember the moments I was completely terrified as a child, and I will go back and watch them. That's my favorite thing about horror. I have a hard time saying my favorite one because literally any of the old Stephen King miniseries. Oh yeah, definitely a period where between the clowns, Chucky. I guess even Annabelle now, like the the killer clowns from outer space, yeah. where they just made people Puppet hate. Puppet Master. Yes, where they made people hate dolls and clowns and anything like of that sort. Mm-hmm. There is okay. If you guys are ever in Portland, I will I will show you around, and I'm going to take you to a place called Movie Madness, where their horror section is it's it's part museum, part video rental store. That's awesome. It's it's beautiful, but they have a horror section that is so thoroughly broken down in genre, and they have one that's basically like childhood gone wrong. And it's all of the like killer clowns and you know psycho dolls and all that kind of type stuff. Oh, uh, and so it's good. it's incredible. Oh, that makes me really happy and really terrified at the same time because like I really feel like horror gave me some traumatic experiences as a, as a child. Yeah, <laughs> I have a hard time saying my favorite scary movie because I see 
each era of horror as having a different thing and they're not necessarily comparable to each other. Yeah. Um, but the there is one, and I'm going to say it's my favorite because I will never rewatch this movie and it is Sinister. Haven't seen it. I will not rewatch it. I watched it one time. Um, it was it scared the crap out of me. I slept with the lights on, and then I watched it another time at my parents' house, and I slept in my parents' room on an air mattress because I was that scared. And as an adult, I don't think there has been a single movie that has made me feel that way. Interesting. And Sinister did that. So for me, that's my favorite scary movie. Now I'm very intrigued to watch it, but I'm afraid that it's not going to scare me and that's going to say something about me on a deep, personal, <laughs> emotional level. It might. It might. Uh, it, it is It is really dark and uh, like dark, like actual like lighting dark and it is pretty mm. mumbly. Um, but it's not full of cheap jump scares and it's, the majority for me was psychological. Okay. And like having the paranormal bridge with the psychological is what makes like terrified me totally and i will never watch this movie again i attempted to do it and i think i put it in the fright day group but i was like oh yeah yeah, i remember that i'm gonna try to watch this and he was and matt was out of town and i was like nope Nope. made a mistake nope this is not happening right now okay so i don't have a favorite (laughs) scary movie but there is one movie while i was thinking that i refuse to watch even like when mystery science theater has done this movie is making fun of it that it just bothers me, and why? But I do not like any of the versions of the invasion of the body snatchers. It just uh, terrifies me in so many things for some reason. It's not even like a fright level, but just the fact of like any sense of what that could happen. I yeah. actually, that's another one that I have not seen. There's like <gasps> ten different yeah, versions of them. of them. Basically, pick a decade, and you can probably find one. Yeah, I was like, I love like I know the concept of it, and I love it, but I haven't actually sat down and watched through one. But anyways, let's get back to Scream. Yeah, so going yeah. into Scream as something that people either love or hate, it came in 1996, and it was directed by Wes Craven. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he is probably one of the heavy hitters of the horror genre and is pretty much responsible for some of the largest franchises. And it's written by Kevin Williamson, who also writes I Know What You Did Last Summer um, later on in the 90s. So it stars a whole bunch of 90s staples. Nev Campbell, Drew Barrymore, Courtney Cox, Rose McGowan, David Arquette, my favorite, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Kennedy, and Henry Winkler is even in there, and a very, very young Sabretooth. Leave Sh- Schreiber has about 10 seconds in there. Despite being a, a fairly pivotal character in the overall Scream trilogy, I, I always forget how little he's in the first one. Yeah, and he's referred to a lot. They, they mention Cotton Weary a oh, lot. Oh, constantly. But you don't really see him, but, like, really, really briefly. Yeah. Um, so don't go in expecting to get young Sabretooth. You only get a snap. Um, Do so- go in expecting to see Courtney Cox in a tennis ball yellow skirt suit. God, yes. 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 <laughs> it's such a bad it's look. It's so bad. Yeah. And don't go in expecting to see Drew Barrymore, the actress who actually did the majority of the marketing in the beginning, for more than, like, ten minutes, if that. Yeah, she... Okay, so here's the thing. So Scream is known for being meta, right? And that was their first meta play, was that they marketed it with Drew Barrymore. She did a bunch of, like, like press junkets, interviews on TV, all that stuff. And then, spoiler, for a 21-year-old movie now? <laughs> yeah. Coming up on it, uh, she dies in the first scene. Now, the first scene, I will say, is essentially a short film. Pretty much. Yeah. The first scene is a standalone short film about a woman getting her ass on the phone and then murdered. Like, that's what it is. And it's her. 
and she's on all the posters she did all the interviews and it was like this brilliant play of going here's the star that you think is going to be the final girl and we're just going to kill her which is Ola Hitchcock Oh yeah, 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 man! I and I, I love that they did that. And the more that I've dug into Scream as a cultural thing that happened, and like, and seeing stuff like that of like, you guys were playing this for a while, because if I remember right, she actually auditioned to play Sydney, I think. And then they were like, well, what if instead? Or actually, that was that her idea? I don't know. I don't know about I, that. I could be wrong. I want to say that it actually might have been her who actually was like, well, what if instead? my character doesn't survive the opening scene or so, like something to that effect where like she had some kind of a hand in it, yeah. but I could be wrong at me if I'm wrong. <laughs> so I'm just going to give a brief synopsis because it has been 21 years to prep for this. I watched all four Scream movies. My very strong opinion is that the first Scream holds up really, really well. It is, it is a piece of its time, but that being said, you can watch it with what came before it and what came after it, and you see where it's situated, and it's totally great to go back and watch, um, personally. I know, I agree completely. Actually, Matt made sure that I got a synopsis in there, because do you It's remember? been 21 years, I've seen the first one, I believe the second one. <laughs> I didn't when know did it. you see the first one? It's probably been about, I don't know, 20 years? years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, I mean, I see the Halloween costume all the time. <laughs> it's still around. Yeah. Um, I actually, for a long time, didn't even know there was a third one that existed. And then the fourth one, I just, I think that was, the, is that the most recent one? Mm-hmm. That or came that, out in 2011. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even give that a chance. <laughs> I feel should, like any movie that they do, that they try to have a decade in between, or, you know, the fourth, fifth one, we're just... Doing a money and wasn't that the tagline was like new generation new rules or new yeah, decade, yeah new pretty rules. much yeah yep that's what it was and that's the entire like crux of that that movie <laughs> which that said i actually i don't know that i'm against the idea of like every decade doing another scream that analyzes what horror has become i'd be perfectly fine with that it could be fun it would be really fun um because horror is one of those things that changes because it's based so much on the culture right Mm -hmm. the culture informs what's uncomfortable what's scary and what's what's taboo i guess because horror really pushes on those things like what people are they all high school every single time then no 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 it grows with them watch okay for this it is but i mean if you're gonna do that like i guess for four for the last ones instead of new generation new rules are they i'm assuming they brought back some people but is it still it's back to high school? school Yeah, yeah. A high school related thing. Yeah, it is still high school related, but you have the um, the original characters oh, still yeah. there in an adult capacity, but it's still totally focused on murders happening within a high school, and Sydney Prescott is somehow mm-hmm. like tied into there. Which, and I I do like what they did with that one, and one of the things that I've appreciated about the Scream uh, film franchise as a whole is showing Sydney's psychological evolution as she survives these yeah. terrible encounters and like seeing that by the third movie she's basically living as a hermit in the woods like in a cabin with you know a string all around her property to let her know if anyone's trying to get in and it's like yeah because she didn't deal with this trauma and she does kind of have problems and exactly yeah and then so showing her in four of like well what happens when these people survive and survive that long no i I think four is actually pretty good but for the purposes of this episode we will be focusing on the first scream because the first one is what sets up pretty much everything else and be opens the floodgates of 90s slasher movies whether or not that's a good thing i'll leave that up to uh the listener (laughs) 
Yeah, because for those who don't know, the 90s was not a great time for horror, like at all. Like Blair Witch Project and Scream are some of the big highlights, and they were anomalies, to my understanding. Yeah, no, they they really were. So just to give a brief brief synopsis of the movie, I'm going to run through it fairly quickly. So at the beginning of the movie, like Alex said, it opens with Drew Barrymore playing Casey Becker, and it serves as its own little its own little movie. So she gets a call from a creepy voice on the phone and the very first question is, what's your favorite scary movie? It then turns into a very creepy trivia game. She finds her boo strapped to a chair in which she answers wrong and he is mm-hmm. killed. And then she is killed. And as Alex said- Pretty brutally. Yeah, extremely brutally. She is actually hung from a tree after she's killed to kind of echo Suspiria. By her own intestines. Yes, by her own intestines. Um, She was, it was very bad. I actually remember when I watched it as a kid, my mom didn't let me see that scene. She actually told me to cover my eyes. Even as an adult, it's still rough every time. Yeah. I was like, I don't even, like, I... Like, I had to think back for a second and completely forgot that that scene was that brutal. Because most of the times, because obviously it's a show that gets played a lot, but it's usually on cable television all yeah. the time. So it's, so it's usually edited out. Yeah, and yeah. I think one of the things to remember, too, is in the mid-90s, this is 96, you have this rise of movies, horror and action, everything pretty much jumping on the CGI train. And that's not in Scream, really. A lot, no. almost all of, pretty much all of this is practical effects, and the way they do it is really interesting. Like watching back on it, because I think what ages a movie and what makes it kind of sometimes unwatchable is really bad CGI. Yeah, we just we just watched Scorpion King last week or two weeks ago, and man, that CGI did not age. Nope. In the slightest. <laughs> I don't see it doing that. <laughs> so after this. Right off the bat, we learn that Sidney Prescott's mother had also been found raped and killed in the town not too long before the start of the movie. Her mother's death factors into Casey Becker's death, and they all think that it's connected. It was a year apart, I believe. A year apart? Okay. A year apart. This is also followed by the first killer call to Sydney, and this is where she kind of gets set up as a potential fi- uh, the potential final girl, and shortly after, she's attacked by the Halloween masked killer, ghost the ghost the ghost face killer, which I, I don't like saying, because like, that's a rapper's no. name, um, but that's what he's called. I don't know why that was a good idea. I don't know what predates yeah. what. Um, and her boyfriend ends up, climb- uh, ends up climbing up the window, surprising her and she immediately thinks that it's him he gets picked up by the police and it's assumed that it's taken care of and then all of a sudden the killer pops up again and it's like okay her boyfriend billy is not the killer she then gets a call saying that they got um yeah so he pops again by getting by getting the call this all leads to news crews coming to the school and pretty much thinking that her father might be involved with this. It's kind of a weird story. You don't really get too much motive because um, it was assumed that Cotton Weary killed her mother. Um, yeah. But there is, they do, they are drawing connections between these things. So for time's sake, going with like pretty much standard slasher formula, all the hot kids decide to have a party even though like somebody has died. Um, yeah. I so- <laughs> honestly, I always forget how much of that movie is the party scene. The, the entire second act is... The party. <laughs> yeah, it's. I know that they gave uh, cast, or they, I think they gave cast and crew members shirts that say "I survived scene," and I don't remember the number, 
but because it took them so long to film it, they were like, here is something to remember this. It took forever to film that scene because it's basically half of the film. Yeah, I can. I never even thought about that, actually. So when they're all going to the party, it, it sets up this like tension between Sydney finally starting to trust Billy again. And up until now, they've kept it PG-13. And Come out. So they kept it PG-13 while Drew Barrymore was hanging by her intestines. Yes. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> okay, I, I, <laughs> well, I say PG thirteen because Sydney actually, like Sydney in the in some of the opening scenes when she's in the room with her with her boyfriend, she like specifically says, "Are you okay if we keep this relationship PG 13 Oh yeah, and then they make fun of that in really weird ways in scary movie. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, just some real quick facts: the movie itself is an hour fifty one minutes. The party scene is forty two minutes. And took 21 days to shoot because they could only shoot it at night. Oh my gosh. We can yeah. have a party in the day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. 21 days to shoot a single scene. That's insane. Dang. So this is yeah. a horror movie yeah. or a party movie? It's a little bit of both. It's it a is. slasher movie. There's always some yeah, party in true. it. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, true to form, even though people have been murdered, the teenagers are like, hey, let's throw a kegger. <laughs> Let's throw Kager, let's lose our virginity, you know. Because my parent, because isn't it that like Stu's parents are out or something? Exactly. And it's like, okay, this is the most trope filled thing that you could possibly do, but I love it. <laughs> it's also, also weird that basically all these 90s movies had where basically the parents always randomly went out of town. And I know growing up that seemed like it never happened. So I don't know where all these parents were going and why they were always leaving. Yeah, I have no clue either. I don't think there are any parents unless they're, like, finding their dead child or, like, being kidnapped in this movie, really. Yeah, pretty much. Which was also, I found, interesting. Because I do remember from the first one, that was one thing that I saw. It's like an anime in that way. You know the parents are there. They just never show up. Yeah. I don't know. So. I guess if I just went to the school and people were dying, I'm like, Mom, can I, like, you know, like, transfer or something? Yeah. Like, I don't really want to be here anymore. Right. That high school across town, students there aren't getting murdered. Can exactly. Go there? <laughs> <laughs> okay so this this party scene is iconic because it gives the character randy who is pretty much the heart of the entire film and up until this point he's been dropping hints like oh if this were a horror movie he totally he would be the killer but then again it's not always motive oh yeah the movie rental store scene exactly. where he lays out all of the rules and then I want to say at some point, does somebody accuse him of being the killer? And he yeah. shouts something about like, no, like, because I would, or he, I know that he shouts, there are rules at some point, but like, there's like some real heavy implication that it is Randy. So during this entire party, they're actually watching Halloween um, and they're talking about it the entire time. And probably the weirdest thing is right when Sydney's about to lose her virginity to, to, um, to Billy, Randy is doing a narration uh, cutting back and forth between the main room and and the room uh, the room that Sydney and Billy are in, and Randy is going over the rules of horror. So, and those rules are I have them in another section. We're just going to go ahead and lay them out right now. The rules are: you never have sex because only virgins uh, can outsmart the killer. Yeah. More, uh, you never drink drink or do drugs, and you never ever say I'll be right back. Because you won't. Yeah. And so this, and so of course, Sydney does the one thing a final girl is never supposed to do: she loses her virginity, subverting mm -hmm. one trope. 
Um, so after this happens, Billy ends up getting stabbed by the killer. Um, and Sydney ends up running through this house that has many, many doors. And all the other people are somehow out. And Randy is just passed out on the couch and somehow doesn't realize that Sydney is running through many, many doors. Um, escaping the killer and fighting him off. And she ends up running into the news van, the news van and the cameraman ends up getting killed. Um, Gail, who is Courtney Cox, and this is probably a really bad synopsis. It was really hard to like break down, and I'm realizing how bad it is as I go through this. No, no, but I mean, but that that is the thing is it's okay. So rewinding back to the start, Casey gets killed. There's a small investigation at the school. Uh, Sydney gets attacked. Kids throw a party. Like you, you haven't missed any big okay. beats. I don't I think. I feel like I have. I don't know why uh, this is. <laughs> there, well, there, there's like more nuanced stuff. Like the principal gets murdered after uh, rebuking two teens for running through the hall in a ghost face costume. There's Sydney in the bathroom stall overhearing some girls. But those are more like getting into like a full on Wikipedia plot summary. But if we're just hitting the big beats, like that's kind of what it is. Okay, I feel I feel better. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to help. Um. So what happens is she runs into the news van or um, she's being helped by the cameraman. The cameraman ends up seeing Ghostface Killer. This sounds so bad. Ghostface Killer coming up behind Randy and they're like, move, Randy, move. And they realize that the camera is on a delay. Cameraman ends up dead. Um, There's an escape. And then essentially you end up with two people left standing. Gail, who is the reporter, is assumed dead in a ditch. And yep. Sid has run back to the house. And you have Matthew Lillard, Stu, standing with Randy on the front porch. And Sydney just decides, nope, I'm not letting either of you in here. Closes the door, only to have Billy come stumbling out covered in blood. I'm using, using scare quotes here. Blood. Um, and do the pretty much natural horror movie fall down the stairs <laughs> yeah um they do a little talky talk and then it ends up being oh no there have been two killers the whole time and billy is actually covered in fake blood and was fake stabbed by stew and they've been working in tandem just kind of because not really a lot of motive given and this is one of the things that kind of goes to um some of the stuff that gets said in the movie is like they can't really piece things together because they don't know who's doing what and Stu is under the impression that there is no motive other than to live out a horror movie yeah but then billy reveals billy reveals that in fact sydney's mother was having an affair with his father, which made his mother leave, and then made Stu and Billy kill her mother, and now they're coming after Sydney. And yeah. then Wait, are those two brothers then? No, they're that, not. Hey, that's why I'm getting... Okay. They're, they're just, just friends. friends. <laughs> These 90s movies are... Okay. This is another yeah. reason why I have a problem with horror movies. Sometimes the logic <laughs> falls and breaks down. Well, and, but that was part of what I think made Scream such a great twist was that at the time, nobody had considered what if there was two people under the mask. Yeah, right. so up until this point, you pretty much have just the one slasher, and that one slasher is the one guy the entire time. Um, unless yeah. you factor in, like, Friday the 13th, who technically wasn't really the guy, but the mom of the guy, which is uh, the yeah. question that Casey gets wrong. Um, yeah. 
Um, so this, as far as slash movie goes up until now, you don't really have two killers. Um, and now it becomes it becomes something that Scream plays with um, in mm-hmm. the franchise itself. Um, so they end up trying to frame her father, and then Billy ends up stabbing Stu quite a bit and not in the right ways. And you get my favorite line ever. I'm getting woozy here. <laughs> Which is so good. Ma- like Matthew Lillard in that whole final sequence is my favorite. He's so good. He plays like, uh, crazy well. When, when uh, Skeet Ulrich, Billy, slips and hits him in the face with the phone, that actually was an accident. <laughs> so when Matthew Lillard turns around and shouts, you hit me with the phone, you dick, that was just his response. <laughs> <laughs> just that improv that so line good. and yeah he like he sells that whole last scene of the dopey friend who got suckered into murdering a bunch of people which is not a thing i said that like that was a normal thing that happens every day it's not technically if we go down the serial killer route most duos are just a dopey friend who was coerced by somebody else who had a stronger personality that's a good point so matthew lillard in this entire scene He's completely unhinged, and they're just kind of going back and forth. And so Sydney ends up giving, saying the line, you know, it's, you know, she blames the movies for making them psychos. And Billy says, movies don't make psychos. It just gives them more ideas, Um, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, So then all of a sudden, Gail comes to the rescue. Um, and this is Gail, um, Gail Courtney Cox, the reporter who is, was supposedly dead in the ditch, is not. Which is why I argue that Gail is also a final girl in her own right. Yeah, I can see that. When you look at the franchise. Um, so she gets the gun, but the safety's on and she ends up getting knocked out. <laughs> Bye, mm-hmm. Billy. Um, so what does happen is you have Sid being somebody smart in a horror movie and going to call the police while Gail is distracting them. And so she calls the police, and Matthew Lillard's just kind of like, you re- you called the police, man? Why go, would oh, you yeah. do that? Like, yeah. it's great. Remember- like, Matthew <laughs> Lillard is just great. I think this the line that gets me in that scene more than anything is, my mom and dad are going to be yes. so pissed. Yes, that's what yes. I'm trying to say before saying Like, That's the one thing I do remember about that scene. It's so good. Just something about Matthew Lillard uh, having been stabbed multiple times, covered in blood, kind of like bleeding from the mouth, and then crying and saying, my mom and dad are going to be so pissed. Like, it shouldn't be funny, but it gets me every time. Um, so <laughs> Sydney attacks Billy, kills him in slasher movie kill type thing. Um, and all of a sudden, the virgin Randy, who says this is the only time he's proud to be a virgin, pops out and is alive. He didn't die. Oh, yeah, because he got shot earlier. We skipped that part. Yeah, oh, yeah, he did get shot. Yeah. <laughs> but he is alive. Um, and right before Billy does the classic movie pop-up, uh, Gail is awake, not concussed, and shoots him. And so... Because um, Sydney killed him with an umbrella, right? Yes. Pops Sydney, out of the closet, stabs him in the chest with an umbrella. Yes. Yep. Multiple times while wearing the costume. Yeah, which is interesting because... Earlier, when they're when the cops are at the school investigating and interviewing people, that all the teens have a conversation about, well, who do you think the killer is? Could it be a woman? Would it be a man? And then somebody talks specifically about, you know, well, a woman wouldn't like would use like an ice picker, like something about a sharp object. And there's a thing that Sydney doesn't uh, like. Sydney, I don't think ever fires a gun in the f- series. I could be wrong. Uh, no, she does. She does. In two. Uh, in three. 
In three, she stabs him in the heart with an ice pick. At first, she fires the gun. Because remember, oh, this right, is right, when right, he's right. invincible. Right, and I in forgot two, about that. Um, her and Gail both simultaneously fire the gun at um, the, the guy killer. I don't remember his name. Right. Okay. So yeah. So it's just that she doesn't fire the gun in the first one. Yeah, not in the first one. Gail's the only one that fires the gun. Yeah, and then I think what what it was that made it stick out in my mind is that they specifically cite an ice pick as a weapon to kill somebody in the first movie in that scene, mm-hmm. and then when you get to Scream Three, she actually does kill someone with an yes. ice pick, which yep. was like, oh, that's a really subtle throwback. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. Yeah, Scream constantly refers to itself just as much as it's referring to everything else. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much Have the it. cops showed up during this time? The cops show yes, up at Dewey. the very end. De- oh, yeah, Dewey is here the entire time, which I haven't mentioned. Even though he's the character that I really feel I would be if I was in a horror movie, I yeah. want to say I would be a final girl, but Dewey constantly is getting stabbed and attacked, somehow lives, and is constantly right. falling downstairs. Because Dewey kills. runs up to the door during that final confrontation, right? Yes, and, and he gets ends stabbed, stabbed in the back. In the back. Yep. And that's David Arquette, isn't it? David Arquette, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Officer Dewey. And he has possibly my favorite scene of him talking to that other cop while that cop is smoking and he's eating an ice cream cone. <laughs> and he's just like kind of repeating back everything that cop says, but slightly different. And it's like shot for shot, lick slash puff for <laughs> lick slash puff. It's so funny. He's so good. And I thought, I remember, I thought going in when I rewatched it that I was like, I'm going to have such a problem with Dewey, but like he's kind of necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really, I, he doesn't have any giant moments, but he needs to be there for a lot of this stuff to kind of like coalesce. So he's actually Tatum's brother, who is the girl who famously gets killed in the doggy door of the garage. Right. Um, the garage <laughs> lifts up and yeah. she goes. <laughs> Um, and that has a scene that has been recreated many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's probably a lot I missed, but we're going to go into a lot of like the little important things in the But Why Those. Um, so really quickly, the Rotten Tomatoes score for Scream is 79 for both critic and audience. Scream 2 has a higher critic score of 81 with an audience score of 56. Scream 3 has a 36 and a 37. See, I told you. I doesn't deserve that. It's better than that. <laughs> it's better than that, but I wouldn't put it above like a 60. I could see that. Like not a 30. It's not Batman versus Superman, yeah. but it's not Civil War. I'm, I'm also a little biased because one of my friends, that is her favorite of the franchise. Oh, okay. and so And I've heard her explain to me why it's her favorite, and a lot of it goes into the psychology and the PTSD aspects of it. Um, but whether or not that makes it a good that. movie overall for the general public, I could see that being up for debate. But I do, en- I enjoy it. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I remember it being bad. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like I remember well, first I, watching it. I think the big problem that a lot of people probably had with it is something that Randy even identifies, which is in the third movie you go back to the first movie and something that has always been true is revealed. Yes. And they, and when they do that in Scream Three, it rewrites Scream in a kind of big way. Yeah, so if you you, you just say it real quick. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, so in Scream 3, it is, spoilers for a very old movie, it's revealed that Billy and Stu, not Cotton Weary, are the people who uh, raped and killed Sydney's mother. And they did so at the behest of Roman, who is Sydney's half-brother from when her mom was trying to be an actress and was at weird sex parties in Hollywood. Yes. Uh, 
Not and weird so, sex parties, weird rape parties. Right, that's what it was. Uh, I just knew that it was something weird with like her being, oh yeah, that's right, because they talked about she was her getting passed around at this party. Yeah. So yeah, her mom went to Hollywood to become an actress, was raped, uh, had Roman, who's her half-brother, then she like leaves, isn't an actress, gets married to Sydney's dad, has Sydney. So he finds out about this, is going kind of nuts talks these two guys into i think he might have even helped them with it i don't remember that yeah detail. so yeah so what he does he he tries to go back to maureen prescott who which is her name now um and she he tries with i'm your son and so then she just gets insanely jealous of what sydney has and decides to take away the mother and so yeah he sets up pretty much like like scream 2 so in scream 2 um billy's mother actually teams up with a with a student who wanted to be a he didn't want to survive he wanted to be a big horror movie type thing and get caught yeah. and like he like wanted to be famous for it. yeah he wanted to be famous but she found him to orchestrate the new set of killings to get back at sydney um pretty much in the same fashion he finds these two guys by releasing the information that Sydney's mom is cheating on Billy's dad to him influences him to make him want to go kill and then kind of gives him the um the the means and methods to do it. Yeah, and so Scream 3 rewrites the motivation of Billy and Stu. Well, of Stu. Yeah. Or no, of Billy rather. Of Billy, yeah. Stu Stu is left Stu untouched is by this. Yeah. But yeah, Billy's motivation is or not even necessarily all of his motivation, but a chunk of it is rewritten, his methods are revealed. And a lot of people, I think, didn't like that idea because the first one is so good as a standalone film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and Scream 4 has a 59 and a 55. Um, and just for chron- chronology, um, like I said, Scream 1 is a 1996 and the most recent was made in 2011. Um, and initially it was set to just be a trilogy and then you have the... Which I... I don't know. I, I don't know if you know this, Alex. Like, was it really set to be a trilogy? And they're like, "Oh, we're gonna reboot," or was this always in mind? Because this is what happens to franchises. I think, from what I understand, the first the first series was meant to be a trilogy. The thing that wasn't planned is that Scream Four was supposed to be the start of a new trilogy. Oh. But because Scream Four didn't perform quite as well, they transitioned and made Scream Five Scream on MTV, which okay. was a TV show. That makes sense, which I was going to yeah. go into right now. So Screen the TV series is two seasons as of right now, and it started in 2015, and it pretty much relives Scream, but mm-hmm. in the social media generation. And surprisingly well, I think. There's some yeah. good integration with it. If you watch Scream 4, you can definitely see where the setups with cameras and blogging and um, even down to Hayden Panettiere's character. She has mm-hmm. super short hair, wears leather jackets. That's kind of emulated in, um, I don't know what her, I don't remember her oh, name Audrey. is. In, in Audrey, yeah. Um, who you might know as playing Sin in the very first uh, seasons of Arrow. And they really resemble each other. So rewatching Scream 4, I now understand that it was meant to be Scream 5. <laughs> yeah. So, the but why those? The whole reason we're doing this is because Scream establishes meta horror. Mm-hmm. Meta horror movies are horror movies that acknowledge the events occurring within them as being a part of a horror movie. So, some of the ways to define a meta horror movie is pulled directly from Scream specifically. But this wasn't necessarily the first time that um, Wes Craven did meta. Um, Prior to this, you have Wes Craven's New Nightmare, 
which is meta, but it's meta as in it just it, it makes Freddy real. I don't know if you've yeah. seen uh, the new Nightmare, either of you. I haven't seen it. I know that the whole premise is that Freddy is real and he's going after the original cast and director of the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Correct? Yes. Just a little examples of how you would throw back uh, like what a meta movie entails and specifically what Scream does is when the killer calls Sydney for the first time and he asks her the same question that he asks Casey, uh, what's your favorite scary movie? Sydney responds with saying they're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act, who, always, who is always running up the stairs and when, uh, when she should be running out the front door. So that is actively understanding what Sydney should be doing while mm-hmm. on this phone with this killer. Which they then parody also in Scary Movie by having Carmen Electra be the girl at the opening scene. Exactly. It's a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the scene at the time for this and why she's saying this and why Scream is referencing everything within itself is because at this time, horror has just become completely saturated with sequels and slasher movies. At this point, you're on Friday the 13th, part nine, mm-hmm. Halloween five, I believe, Nightmare on Elm Street five plus um, Wes Craven's new nightmare. And it's pretty much gotten to the point where the mythology has become convoluted. And this is one of those things that Randy references while he's in the store where he says, um, if your plot gets too complicated, you lose your audience. And that is essentially what has happened within all these horror sequels is they've expanded the mythology so much, retcon so much that like it's nobody can latch onto them anymore. And so what Scream does is it acknowledges the importance of these horror movies while also being able to kind of give horror fans a gut punch at the same time, pointing out a lot of the stuff that we love that is also kind of silly when you think about it. Yeah, I think that one of the best phrases that I've been able to put to it to explain it to people is that Scream is vivisection. Yeah. It is It is self-dissecting as it happens and pointing out every trope and then turning it on its head, picking it apart, figuring out what they can do to make something new and different and to surprise you. Yeah, pretty much. And, and it does it really well. And I think that's one of the reasons that it, it you can watch it now. Um, that being said, um, we have mentioned parts that we've laughed at. <laughs> and it's it, funny. It's a funny movie. It rides that line between being a serious horror movie, but also making you kind of want to laugh. Yeah. So these tropes guide the characters through the film and Randy kind of serves as this um, this narrator character to figure out, to, to deduce who might die next, to deduce who might be the killer. Um, and as I said earlier, he establishes the horror movie roles. And I would say the one he doesn't really establish so much is the, the final girl. And the difference between a final girl and a scream queen, I just kind of want to mention this because I have like an internal like argument with myself, like what the difference is. Um, so Scream Queens are awesome, are actresses who are associated with many horror films, not necessarily within the same franchise, and they can die. Um, Final Girls are usually specific to a franchise, and they the whole point of being a fi- Final Girl is they take on the killer's masculinity and end up killing the killer in a very similar way that they that the killer has been murdering the other characters in the film and. Yeah. The way that the final girl trope is true within Scream is like we said, Sydney is the hero. and But on top of that, she actually wears the costume as she is killing him. Oh, full, yeah, fully embodies the killer identity when she does it. Which also, quick plug for another good movie, uh, Last Girl Standing. Just oh, came out, that. I think, two years ago. 
two years ago, maybe a year ago. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere, but it the opening scene is the final scene of a slasher. And oh, wow. it's of, the, of this girl killing the killer and then wandering out to the side of the road and just sitting down and crying until a truck picks her up. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is showing how she did or did not deal with the trauma of that event. Oh, wow. um, and kind of unfolding and it's some people might not like it I thought it was really good and a really interesting look at like how surviving something like that would affect you and whether or not you would even want to survive that yeah um, but definitely a, a direct response to the final girl trope so the one trope that I thought was funny re uh, re-watching this is they don't actually bring up the black guy dies first and the reason is there are no guy. people of color in this movie like not even in the background yeah, which they sort of address with the opening scene of Scream yes. 2. So, but they don't address it in that. In Scream 1 at in all. Scream two, yeah, so in Scream 2, the opening scene are two black characters, um, and they're talking about the lack of representation of black people in horror, and yeah. they're debating about which movie to go watch. And um, they end up being the first two deaths in the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there is one black character after that, but there are, surprisingly, the new city, there are people of color in that city. Yeah. <laughs> the Can other one, the other one, not so much. <laughs> I, As disappointed as I am in that in terms of the casting, I feel like the only way that they could have done it is that when, when uh, oh, what, why is his name? When Randy is giving the rules to, like, say everything and then look over and see, like, uh, you know, a black guy sitting there being like, Oh, jeez, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, that would have been <laughs> awesome. That would have been so good. Honestly, like, I know we talk about representation a lot on this podcast. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it hurts Scream too much at all because it's de- it deals with so many other meta levels. But it's just funny because as horror fans, this is an established trope. Yeah. And it's one that is so that was so common with so much horror. Um, the fact that. The movie that is being that is critiquing and looking back at horror doesn't mm-hmm. acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Um, yeah. So all that being said, um, and I also mentioned it already, it, it rides this line of comedy horror, but it does spawn off a whole bunch of other things. Um, in our time, our time, like it's actually it has been 21 years. So That's like true. in the, in this new era of horror, you have movies like Tucker and Dale versus Evil which is essentially these two guys in the backwoods who are not villains and are not They're just trying to enjoy their newly purchased vacation home. Yeah, and uh, that director actually just put out a new film on Netflix called Little Evil. I just watched that movie. Yeah, it was which so is very good. much that same like meta horror of the, you know, we're in a cornfield, what good thing has ever happened in a cornfield? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the whole idea is like, what if Damien got a stepdad? And it's, it's great. It's also inspired Zombieland for the most part, Mm -hmm. which is a self-referential zombie movie. And probably one of my favorites, Cabin in the Woods. Yes, Um, I think that's the biggest one. Yes, that is definitely the biggest one. And I also read an article preparing for this was that people were really shocked that Cabin in the Woods didn't do for horror now what Scream did for horror then. And the simple reason is that in some ways, Scream set up the ground for horror movies to be self-referential. So by the time you came to Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods, it wasn't a radical idea. It was how he did it. So it didn't really break new ground. It just deconstructed an entire horror movie and let you watch it form on its own. Yeah. And, and I, yet horror is still in a golden age right now. Exactly. That's um, a movie with the weird stuff that happens at the very end. With the right? gods at the end? 
that they're sacrificing And when the unicorn spears that guy. Yes! Love the unicorn kill in that movie. It's so good. Yeah. Is that the one where Thor drives himself? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which I, I remember specifically, actually, in terms of how that movie impacted horror, talking to my cousin and his girlfriend. And I want to say they were maybe 15 or 16 at the time, and they had seen it. And I was asking what they thought about it. And they were like, well, we just thought it was really dumb and, like, predictable. And, like, it just was, like, everything that it would, like, like, every trope. And I was like, well, you guys know that that was the point, right? That it was, like, a satire and a love. And they were like, oh, we hadn't thought of that. And, like, and it completely, re- like, watching it completely reshape my cousin's understanding of that movie. As soon as I said it was supposed to be a satire, it was like, yes, you're getting it. Like, you see what this was meant to be. But I think a lot of people who went into it expecting a dead serious movie didn't realize that that's what they were going to get exactly and also the whole metaphor of like the ancient ones being the audience and trying to appease them and they're like there's a whole lot going on in that movie that if you watch it without thinking you're gonna miss it just it's awesome it it, it, and scream paved the way for this yeah and i mean because yeah spoiler like cabin in the woods kind of the premise is what if every horror movie happened in the same universe for a kind of stupid reason yes (laughs) that like that is the basic premise of that film but it's great, and it wouldn't have happened if Scream hadn't happened. Because Zombieland opens with rules, doesn't it? Yep, it yes. opens with rules. Yeah. And they're referred to the entire time. Right, yeah, that's like that's like a running thing of here are the rules, this is how you survive. It also manages, while it's setting these rules, and while it is critiquing a lot of these tropes, it manages to pay homage to so many different horror movies, and I can't list them all. Plot is pretty similar to Prom Night, which Randy does reference. Billy looks exactly like Johnny Depp's it's so twin weird. in Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I don't know how they did that. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Tatum actually wears Johnny Depp's, uh, like, midriff jersey at one point in the movie as well. Yeah. Billy actually says we all go a little mad sometimes, which is a famous line from Psycho. Linda Blair has a cameo, and there are countless one-liners where they either make a parody title of a movie or reference a movie. I could be wrong on this. I want to say that in terms of referencing other things, there's even an aerial shot of Woodsboro early on in the film that is apparently supposed to like perfectly mimic the opening shot of Halloween. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, and so there, so there's stuff like that where it's like, man, you are like, even just the visuals, you are pulling from everything. And when Scream 4 comes around, not only is it self-referential, but it is critiquing things being self-referential with the cold open pretty much I love the that cold open saying that um, everything is self-referential meta shit. Like, that is what horror has become. And this is this is kind of real. Like, we may not think it's weird now to have that fourth wall broken, but in the 90s it was. And now it's really, really common. And some of the biggest movies do it. And it's everywhere. Yeah. So another but why though, and probably the best one, is that it brought in the slasher renaissance. Like I said before, the scene had become completely saturated with overdone slashers. Granted, they're iconic, but they had pretty much been done to death and you hadn't had anything brand new come to the plate. Um, and Scream does that. It revitalizes the it revitalizes it revitalizes the genre, but it also opens up for a whole bunch of other movies that aren't so fondly remembered. Um, I personally like I Know What You Did Last Summer. I understand its problems, but I like it. <laughs> and then you have Urban Legends, which is literally scream, but with urban legends. Yeah. I couldn't get into that because it was basically like, this is literally a knockoff. Yes. And it was, 
it, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. Like every down to somebody going through the like the rules of that specific legend every time it gets brought up. Yes. <laughs> um, you also have Valentine, which was really horrible. That movie, movie was awful. I don't know that I saw that one. Is it a? David, it's it not has, related it is, to my bloody Valentine. No, right? no, no, it's not. It has David Boreanaz in it. Um, he was like. Hmm bullied and he comes back and he gets revenge on everybody um, interesting but some of the reasons that a lot of the night if a lot of the slasher movies in this slasher renaissance aren't fondly remembered is because what scream does also is it brings in pg-13 horror um which if you're a horror fan pg-13 horror can be some of the worst things out there it's hard to do well and because it's also frustrating when you're watching a pg-13 horror movie and you know that had they just budged on the rating and gone r it would have been excellent mm-hmm. but when you undercut every single kill and all that kind of stuff where it's like well we have to cut away or not show it or make it less and it's like i don't watch horror movies just to see gore that's not the point of it but when i literally see nothing yeah. because you keep cutting away because you're trying to make sure that you get that rating it's frustrating where it's like, oh, you guys had a movie and then you edited it to make it what it is now. So the other thing that Scream did was it introduced the idea of WB horror. And what that means is the idea of bringing well-known actors from the small screen into an into a horror movie project. And the reason this is interesting is because prior to Scream and it establishing this, horror movies were used to jumpstart an actor's career not be an A-list project. Um, so in Scream, hmm. you have some pretty big names, specifically Drew Barrymore, um, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, you know, the people that we mentioned. And yeah. as it goes on, Scream 2 has um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy Summers herself, um, who is well into Buffy at this point. And it, it, what it does is this pretty much sets the tone for the 90s, where every 90s slasher movie... And even horror movie in general has well-known actors from like Seventh Heaven or some WB series. Hmm. Um, like we've also talked about, there are laughs. We've been laughing ourselves here. And I don't think we've really talked about a, a moment in Scream that really scared us so much. Um, do you have one? It's a good question. I feel like the opening sequence. Yeah. Genuinely, every time that scene, that scene kind of gets me uh maybe the first the first time sydney gets called is a little disquieting but the first time she gets attacked uh and then i think once the party's happening you're just in full swing and it's like you're just rolling with it and i'm not quite as scared um but yeah i think that there's definitely a few points in there where it's i'm at least tense or you know like not breathing as much because i'm i'm too focused on it yeah. Uh, but yeah, I will say, I honestly, I think I have so much respect just for that opening scene. And it's one of my favorites in all of cinema as like, as far as cold opens go. Yeah. Um, but that scene, like just the Drew Barrymore sells it that the entire time watching the killer go from really like calm and cool and like borderline, like he's trying to seduce her to like rage and screaming yeah. is like, that is a hard scene, uh, but it's really, really good. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think for me, that that's the only scene that really gets me. Um, my favorite scene is the end with the dialogue between Billy, Billy and Stu. Um, yeah. That's probably my favorite scene, but the scene that actually sit, like, sits with me is specifically how, um, how assured she is in answering the trivia questions and actually seeing the look on her face and panic when she gets it wrong. 
um, yeah. on the phone. Like that, like that sense of like being uncomfortable there, like that, that's awesome. Um, so I can agree there. And yeah. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously the opening scene, as everybody said, is obviously to me like the most iconic part of this movie. And we haven't really got to it, but I've seen the parody of Scary Movie so many times that literally when you reference most of this movie, I literally took the part from Scary Movie over <laughs> the actual movie of Scream. There, there are parts of Scary Movie, particularly with uh, Stu in the final scene, or yeah. sorry, of Scream, with Stu in the final scene, that I blend it in with what happens in Scary Movie to yeah. parallel that. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, specifically, is- I think the, but wait, there's more line. <laughs> Which I'm 99 percent sure is in Scary Movie, but for all I know, it's in Scream. <laughs> oh, I think the fact that it has made this blurry line um, between funny and serious horror is why it opens the door super wide for the horror parody, specifically Scary Movie. And yes. fun fact: this movie was originally called Scary Movie. I'm so glad they changed it, but yes. at the same time, I love that fact. <laughs> so do you want to talk about Scary Movie, Matt? For one, I love Scary Movie, but also, as much as it is, I actually love... I don't even know if I actually might like Scary Movie 2 even better, and it's one of the few shows where I actually like the second one better. After yeah. that, I forget the Well, and Scary Movie 2 is also before that franchise kind of lost the plot. Yeah. Where it was actually parodying a specific genre and aspect of horror yeah rather than let's just throw together every horror movie that has come out recently yes into one thing (laughs) yeah scary movie one and two are solid i think i saw three once and i have not had interest to see anything beyond that because two is the one that's they're talking about the the haunting yeah they're doing like the haunting and all uh, (laughs) i think it's a what the kevin bacon movie the invisible man or something like that uh i think so uh it's not the Invisible Man. I know exactly um, what movie it is. Oh, Hollow Man. Hollow Man. Man. There we go. I just remember the small hand the most out of all of this. Small hand. Yes. <laughs> uh, small hand. I think uh, the there's the whole Tory Spelling scene, which is outrageous, <laughs> but it's so funny. Uh, yeah. Which is also what's funny. The thing that makes me laugh in that scene is that it's like this really like weird over the top gratuitous if one of them wasn't a ghost sex scene yes. that is a parody of a scene in nightmare on elm street when someone gets murdered exactly and they do it so well that like you forget that this is parodying a murder scene they do still branch out into things that aren't haunted house possession type horror mm-hmm. um but ultimately like they made a good oh yeah because the whole thing opens up with an exorcist parody doesn't yes it? yes it does yes forgot about that so yeah so that's why the first two at least i've always liked those parodies and then they go crazy yeah you had the slasher 90s for the first one and then all the haunting like exorcism yeah. paranormal stuff for the second one and then we just try not to act like the rest of them exist <laughs> yeah but those first two really good yeah and then they yeah. have their own sydney prescott in uh i can't even remember yeah uh, ferris yeah oh yes. god yeah this is yeah. where anna ferris starts right this is pretty much her big pretty thing. much yeah Although Scream specifically impacts the horror genre and opens horror parody up, Scary Movie then pretty much starts the wave of all these other movies that are parodies of everything else. You have Not Another Teen Movie, which is a parody of literally every rom-com of the 90s. From the 90s, yeah. And again, actually, a pretty good movie. Yes! Yes. the The early parody genre that came out of the 90s 
is stellar. Yes. Scary movie one and two, not another teen movie, but then you start getting like epic movie and yeah. not, and it's just, like it just gets really dumb. But it started off so promising. Yep. And they had all the paranormal activity movies when they brought it back. Oh yeah, that's right. I can't remember what there they were. There were those. I don't remember what they were called, but Yeah. Yeah. But those were pretty good. Yeah. So I mean yeah. personally I think Scream was like really, really impactful. Like overall and just to know that to prove listeners we are right. It is on, I looked up about maybe seven different um, top ten movies that changed horror, and this is on every single one of the lists. Yeah, it was it was huge at the time, and I think that it's one of those things that if you didn't live through the moment, it's kind of hard to understand it. Yeah. It's the very much like the Seinfeld isn't funny idea, <laughs> where like yes. if you've seen those jokes elsewhere a thousand times, then you won't recognize that the first time, you won't recognize the first time it ever happened is what it is. Yeah. Because it's, it's not the first time that it happened for you, so. Yep. And I think, too, like, just to kind of back it, um, the production cost of Scream was only $14 million, and it ended up grossing $160 million. Which um, is incredible. It's yes. not Blair Witch numbers, but also that movie was shot for, like, $20,000. Yes. <laughs> Which, that feels like an unfair record for them to hold of, like, percentage investment to profit. Because I, I think they still hold it, and it's like, well, yeah, because you spent nothing. Yeah, this is very true. Like they, very I want they Blair Witch went so far as to sell the camera that they filmed it on back to Staples, or or Circuit City or wherever they bought it from. They they returned the camera after making the movie. That's how cheap this film was. So they don't deserve that gold medal, <laughs> right? Where it's like you guys like did everything you could do to to keep that number. But yeah, so. Um, that's pretty much all I had. Do you have any specific but why those, Alex, that I may have missed? No, I think I think we kind of covered it. Like, I, the, like, the big, like, it matters but why, though, is that it, it revitalized horror. It reminded people that it was relevant. Because I feel like horror every, you know, few years has to do something to re-justify itself to mainstream audiences. Yeah. And Scream was that movie for that time, and I think it did a really excellent job. And I think also maybe part of why it matters is because it is a great gateway film into horror and for getting people to oh, appreciate yeah. a genre. It is a movie that several of my friends, it was kind of their first real horror movie. And they now like the genre, but they wouldn't have given it a shot if it weren't for Scream. That's awesome. And Yeah. And I, I think also it, it's not necessarily why it matters, but something nice about it is just that it does serve as this kind of fun time capsule of horror that came before it. And that if you watch that movie and then you watch Halloween and then you go back and watch that movie, you see new things. Yeah. And it, it helps you, like, it, it, it rewards you the more you see it. And I think that that's pretty unique. And so maybe for that, it matters because it shows horror as having the potential to be art. And I won't say that all horror as a whole is an art. I think that's a dangerous blanket statement about pretty much all media. Uh, but I think that horror has high potential to be art and to be artistic. And Scream is kind of a good example of that. Yeah. And intellectual. Because oh, yeah. as funny and goofy as Scream is, it's smart. Yeah, no, it, it is a really, really smart movie. And I think like you, I think a lot of the time it gets overlooked because of like something like someone like Dewey in the plot. But like, you don't realize that to be able to jam pack this with so many references to horror and to do it in a way that isn't overwhelming and isn't scary movie. You have to have a really delicate hand in doing it. Mm -hmm. And in order to make it work, you have to, you can't just throw it in there. You have to work it in and it has to be subtext and it has like it, 
Yeah. It can't just sit on the surface. I mean, personally, when I was watching, I was like, well, I think they forgot this rule. Well, what about this rule? Did Scream make new rules when it did this? Which That's I a mean, good question. I hadn't thought about that. And I think it does. I think, I think that Scream itself... I think it handles the final girl differently and I think it handles the final girl in a way that makes makes her more vulnerable and not just the badass who finds the chainsaw or the badass that, you know, cuz even though like the scene where Sydney jumps out of the closet and attacks Billy with the umbrella, it seems like a really weird scene or like a really kind of like overt scene because she's wearing the suit, she's stabbing him, but when you think about it Jamie Lee Curtis was in that exact same position as a final girl and she just hid. She didn't do anything. So if anything, yeah. I feel like it's making the final girl more active, even though it's not making her take that, you know, actually land that killing blow automatically. Um, it is making her more active in it. And I think too, it's establishing that you don't just have to have one survivor. You can have yeah. multiple survivors. Um, well, and, he, and even with with Sydney being willing to to move forward and to attack, I think again going back to it as a franchise, where the fact that we see her, you know, being affected by these things and dealing with these things, also plays with the idea of the badass final girl trope by making her not just vulnerable, but showing that she actually did get affected by it negatively. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that seems huge because so many of these, it's like, you know zoom out or like you know like a wide crane shot of her sitting in the back of an ambulance and everything's better now because the authorities are here and then cut to next movie and this is like nope the next movie sydney is messed up and it is recovering and is trying to get better what about you matt how do you have any feelings on this um, any last thoughts um i mean overall I mean, obviously, I'm not a big horror buff like you guys are saying. I like the Scream movie. Obviously, because I think it was that better movie. But I, to me, I like because I've enjoyed the what led to the parodies of Scary Movie and Scary Movie 2 so yeah. much. Why I kind of appreciate Scream in general. Yeah. The only thing I will say is also about the not being a horror buff is a lot of these movies in the slasher movies that we brought up. We're talking even going in the home invasions. I just think there's a lot of poor decisions made and it's hard for me to watch some of this stuff. That can that can definitely trip me up in horror where I'm like, that was a dumb thing even by horror movie logic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just gets hard to watch. So like some of the movies I said that like have terrified me and whatnot, that's fine. But like when it comes to the type of movies, I just don't really care for them because the logic and decision making and everything. And like we talked about, it took like, you said that scene lasted 40 minutes of the movie and the cop showed at it. Uh, the party scene and the cop showed up at what scene 30 minute 39 of that entire scene well technically she doesn't call them until the end yeah so i'm saying it's not called throughout the entire movie like why are you going back into the house if you're like seeing somebody run around murdering i'm running down the block i'm running like to the next town that's true there yeah there's some issues there which that i mean that's led to a whole issue in modern horror of yeah. you always have to address cell phones at some point yeah. yes yeah. Which makes me feel like eventually horror is just going to be exclusively period pieces set in the 90s <laughs> yeah. or earlier. Yeah, so that's why I don't really, definitely don't care about... Mo uh, Which is uh, why It Follows was so good, because you couldn't place it in a time in a time. Exactly. Period. Yeah. So horror movies like, now definitely don't really care about, but uh, yeah. We scream, I can understand, because there are no plots with stuff on, but the bad decisions, yeah. it, it hurts my head sometimes. Which is funny because they reference the bad decisions in Scream, and then I still think they make bad decisions. Yes. 
Yeah, which I think is kind of fun because it shows that, like, as aware as these kids are, they're yeah. not. Yeah. Yes. Which I guess, too, like, as easy as it is for you to say, if you're trapped in the house with somebody, obviously run out the front door. But are you going to be able to run out the front door? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, no, I see I see your point. Like, if they're if they are between you and the front door, what's your hope? Window. <laughs> <laughs> For a house that had so many doors, and it had I'm a lot of doors. And had a, it I'm did. assuming it, had a lot it was of a doors. second story house. Yeah. If somebody's dying on the first floor, you tell me you're not jumping out the second story window, which you can pretty much walk all the way down and probably do like maybe an eight foot drop. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're you're gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which leads back to the whole Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, which I can't remember thing of the thread of why black people are not in movies. Because they realize when the poltergeist shows up saying, oh, I'm on the TV, they leave the house and they don't come back. I will say this. Yeah. Maybe that's why, <laughs> maybe that's why there aren't a lot of people of color in these movies. Because when we get told traumatic stories when we were younger, we know not to fuck with it. As I say, because then you get like Guillermo del Toro producing The Orphanage, which Gosh. feels like the kinds of stories that you were told as a child. Exactly. Yes. No, I, so like the reason I love Guillermo del Toro is because... It resonates with me so much, and it really unsettles people who aren't used to that because it yeah. is Mexican horror. Which I think points to why I don't like comparing horror across era because it's culturally situated in the context of the time that it's made. Oh yeah, like Friday the Thirteenth was a complete response to Reaganism. Exactly. All these things are based off of something. It's the same reason why. I personally think American adaptations of Japanese films don't work specifically for the horror genre because there are different things mm -hmm. within the cultures that we're afraid of. Yeah, and they censor most of them. And they yeah, do well, censor most of them. That was, that was kind of the big issue with, I think... Now, granted, The Ring actually went over very well. Yes, yes. that, that one was really good. That one feels like an exception, but a lot of it, like I was talking to somebody about, uh, they were talking about how they are, aren't scared of the grudge, and I was like, well, that's because you didn't grow up with that ghost myth. Yeah. Like, the, the Grudge isn't an original story, so to speak, in Japan. That is their ghost mythology. Yeah. Turned into a movie. And so, of course, it's not going to scare you. You didn't grow up being told about that. Yep. Like, if they, you know, like, find a culture where werewolves aren't a thing and show them an American werewolf in London, and it's probably not going to land the same way. Yeah. And it's also one of the things, too, that I kind of want to mention. In, in, Scream, in Scream 4, they actually make a lot of references to serial killers versus, um, versus like, horror movie killers. Um, which I think kind of references like this cultural shift towards embracing true crime. Well, it's like there uh, a recent horror movie that I watched that man, I, if people watch this movie, they're going to be mad at me because they're not going to call it horror. Uh, it's called Fraud, and it's a found footage. It's a found footage movie. It's like sixty or seventy minutes long. It's very short, and the whole movie is home footage of a family who gets into a ton of credit card debt and then commits insurance fraud. What? But. It is this weird adult, very much a like millennial post 2000s uh, adult cerebral financial horror where like the like I'm watching these characters go into debt and I'm just like I have so much anxiety about it because I'm like you don't need these things like you just bought all your kids iPads what are you doing and like so instead of hiding in the closet with a knitting needle ready to stab someone you see them dodging calls from bill collectors and huh. all this stuff and like you're watching it and you're like this is like this is horror in a very very specific context and you put this in a different country or a different decade and yeah. it loses everything yeah no that's that's awesome actually i hadn't even thought about that being a horror plot 
Yeah, because it no. does. I mean, it doesn't. Again, it doesn't feel like horror. There's nothing horrific in the film, except if you think about it in like this weird intellectual, almost detached way of like, oh no, 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 debt scares people our age. Yeah. Because of like because of college loans and because of you know all this stuff like that is legitimately like a fear for a lot of people I know. Yeah. And so a movie that is centered on getting into debt and committing insurance fraud is terrifying. Yeah. Huh. Oh, now I'm actually thinking about it. I can definitely see that. <laughs> right? Like, you can see how that would just yes, give you anxiety like, the yes. whole time. Because I'm, like, in my head, like, running my, like, ticker of, like, my college debt loan. And, like, or not college debt. Like, my college debt. Like, it just. Yeah. Oh. And, that, uh, and then add on to that a mountain of credit card debt and then burning down your house for insurance money and then going on the run. <laughs> and painting it as a family vacation. Like, that is some real anxiety. That definitely 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 oh okay so um yeah so i think that's pretty much it i would I hope mean, so we're at two hours and we, seven minutes oh god this is gonna be massive to edit. <laughs> it's gonna be a huge episode i apologize that's it for scream as always we want to hear what you thought if scream has a special place in your heart let us know if it doesn't also let us know Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash butwhythopc, or go ahead and let us know on Twitter. We're probably most active there, at butwhythopc. Alex, tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mostalwaysalex, and you can find my podcast, uh, What We Talk About When We Talk About, at WWTACast. And if you want to hear me talk about horror, or rather read me talk about horror, I am one of the writers over at frightday.com. Awesome, and I will link all of that in the show notes, and I can verify that what we talk about, what we talk about, is probably one of the first pop culture podcasts that I listened to, and I really loved. Um, Thank you very so much. I appreciate that. I, I, I can I can credit you and your team for making me want to start start, but why though? Honestly, so I will definitely means, tell them it, about that. So it, it means a lot to have you on the show. Um, and thank you so much. Yeah. Um, as always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. At oh my Mithrandir. Matt? You can find me on Twitter at dat m a t d a t t m one eight. So now um, time for the question. What do you want your outro music to be? <sighs> That's a good question. Um Oh, uh Red Right Hand. That's the song that is in every screen movie. <laughs> <laughs>